Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, and we're talking with Alex Packham from Content Cal. How's it going, Alex? Very good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Tell us a bit about your background. Uh, my background. So, um, well, I, I currently run a business called Content Cal. Uh, we are based in central London, and we've been going for three years. Uh, the company originally started as a marketing agency called ASTP, um, and we manage lots of different social media accounts, uh, Facebook advertising, Twitter advertising, etc., etc., for different businesses here in London, with a big focus on um, bringing corporate sort of experience to to the sort of SME and medium-sized market in, in London. And my previous background towards, uh, before starting sorry, my own company was I ran social media for Odeon Cinemas and Sky, so big corporate experience and, and big budgets um, and very big teams. But I, I'd always had an aspiration to start my own company. And so uh, ASTP was a, is a small little social media agency, about 10 people, which grew organically throughout sort of 2014 and 2015. Um, and, and the way we sort of spiraled into Content Cow, which is predominantly now a technology-focused business, is that we we kind of computed a lot of our workflows from uh, client management and client approval, uh, content creation uh, and collaboration within different teams, and built a prototype software platform which sort of brought all those uh, different workflows and, and schemes together into one tool. Um, we've raised uh, we raised well we raised about half a million pounds in the very early stages of 2016 to build that prototype and sort of uh, test it with our with our clients in the agency and then over the course of 2016 2017 and obviously now to 2018 we've raised uh, about 1.6 million in total uh, and we've completely sort of pivoted into the content calendar business model whereby We've now got about 4,000 businesses which use our platform to manage social globally. And, um, yeah, it's growing month on month. It's very exciting. It's, it's a very different business. It's, like I said, predominantly technology-focused now. Uh, and we're really kind of focused on scaling our approach to social media management and social media marketing and, and helping as many businesses as possible grow, grow through that method. That's pretty good. And is it like a CRM model in a way and how it works? Almost, yeah. It's, it's a bit like um, a w- workflow tool. So you could almost think of it as Trello, uh, Asana, and some of the social media management platforms all rolled into one. So you can manage and schedule draft content uh, and store ideas and collaborate with multiple team members. So the social, the social media industry has changed quite a bit in the last five years and then it's kind of gone from small teams, even in medium-sized companies. So it's, it's not sort of one or two people anymore. More. It's normally three, four, five, six, right away up to sort of twenty to fifty, depending on the size of the company you work in. And um, what we've sort of focused our platform on is different people having to work together to create a very good social presence, and, and that's kind of what our whole user experience is kind of designed around: people collaborating and therefore delivering better content to market. So we see a lot of agencies use our platform and migrate from different um, sort of legacy social media management tools because they prefer the user experience because it helps them manage their client expectations better it manages um, approval workflows with clients and has sort of activity feeds so that you can you can check that uh, sort of background of who's done what at what time uh, which really helps agencies manage their clients better um, and it also just gives clients full visibility um, of what their agencies or freelancers or social media managers are doing so anyone who sort of owns the strategic side of social can really have a firm and very quick and visual grip on 
what's going to be published when and, and how to manage it. So it's a bit, a bit like a CRM, but I'd call it more of a centralised project management and publishing tool for social media. Um, and that's kind of where our, where our roots have been growing from. And like I said, we've just been focusing in the last sort of six months on scaling that and starting to see a really good pickup in terms of sign-ups to the platform and, and growth from there onwards. So do you work with Twitter, Facebook and what else? We work with Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram currently, and then we have uh, so we have direct integrations with their APIs, so you can schedule, and then we have um, areas in the product for custom planning channels. So we find a lot of people because they start to use Content Count to manage their social, um, they also want to manage the planning and scheduling of all their other channels. So that's right away from blogs to paid advertising to PR to TV even, um, so that you can you can use the tool quite flexibly in that it's not just a social media management tool, we're, we're allowing you to effectively calendarize and plan and collaborate with your marketing team, no matter where they're based, uh, whether they're in the office or whether they work in another office or in another team, um, on the same streamlined plan, which is where, uh, if anyone who's sort of worked in marketing will know that that's one of the, really, probably one of the biggest pain points is everyone being on the same page at the same time um, it's it's very very difficult, and and a lot of this sort of experience comes from my time in uh, particularly in corporates like Sky and Odeon, but also just when we were managing different um, campaigns in our agency business, which is where we started. Just keeping everyone sort of up to speed and, and making sure that um, everyone's also happy, I suppose, with what's going to be going out on social channels in particular. It's just an ongoing problem, so we we just try to streamline that as much as possible into one very very visual dashboard, which which seems to be taking well. Okay, now in the past five years, what change have you noticed social media and what do you think will change in the next five years as well? Uh, well in the past five years, a huge amount has changed. Um, what's mostly interesting is that different platforms uh, like your Instagrams and Snapchats uh, have popped up, uh, focused on mobile only uh, and, and really only have their sort of entire uh, social network you know, ecosystem developed on mobile, whereas Facebook originally started as a desktop platform and then kind of went to mobile very quickly after that. Um, those, those platforms are much, much more visual. Uh, they focus hugely on video and the short and uh, sort of self-deleting video content that everyone's quite used to now with stories functionality. So social media marketing teams and social media teams in general um, have had to really adapt and hone their skills around the concept of video creation and the kind of micro-attention span that people have on social networks versus longer form uh, video consumption like TV or YouTube or something like that. So, so that's been a huge change. Um, some of the other things we've particularly seen is um, how social networks have obviously grown off the back of huge user bases, building organic following uh, and generating organic reach. And then the social networks themselves have restricted over time how uh, that organic reach um, is accessible. So they, they limit it based on algorithms uh, and limiting your audience to seeing only certain things. So there's a huge rise of social media platforms coming up, uh, gaining big traction and big follower bases quite quickly with people publishing and then tending uh, to see their user bases decline a little bit or certainly slow down in terms of growth because they restrict the organic reach. So paid media, obviously, and the, the skill sets around how to manage Facebook advertising and Twitter advertising, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, has certainly become a massive change in the last five years. And I think that, that, that effectively means that the different service providers, whether it's an agency or whether it's a company like us in software or, or a mix of both, has to adapt to basically make sure that they can still you know, remain competitive in the market. But um, in the next five years, I think there's a huge amount of stuff to come in terms of change. I think there'll be one or two different social networks that are going to pop up. I think 
we're going to see some yeah different players um, get some traction over time because I think Facebook is such a such a yeah big platform in the social media industry now that it seems to have a big focus on acquiring businesses and then basically taking them through the Facebook model, which is the kind of model I've just said, which is where they restrict organic growth and people tend to get a little bit fed up with how those platforms work. So I think we'll see a rise of a couple of different social networks and see how they sort of fare independently for a while. Um, the other thing that we sort of expect to see over the next five years, in particular social, is it's going to come a little bit more like TV in the um, video and live video, pre-recorded or live video or sort of series is, seem to be the kind of area that a lot of these social networks want to get into because they want the kind of level of eyeballs and attention that TV has had for many, many years. Um, so I, I think, you know, TV, uh, video creation, sorry, and almost mini TV shows that are going to be published and created and, and marketed on social is going to become much more of the norm. And so in the next five years, you're going to need to see marketers sort of get their heads around, okay, so if it's, if it's almost like a TV channel to a certain extent, how do we need to adapt to that? How do we keep uh, making sure that we know what to go in, what's going on in the normal day-to-day social media world? Um, and then I think the other thing that we've seen in the last five years, which I think will continue, is just messaging uh, and how people are now using these messenger apps, be it Facebook Messenger or, uh, or any, any different ones like Telegram, etc., becoming much more direct, but still having a very sort of social media-linked element to it. And that will become something businesses will inevitably want to get involved with. So a huge amount of change. Social media industry never, never, you know, never tends to slow down. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot to come in the next five years, which we'll be, we'll be watching ourselves over here to see what the developments are. Yeah, and I guess at the moment, with like yesterday, we saw news about uh, Facebook and uh, Cambridge, uh, Cambridge Analytica. I guess that's going to be a big problem as well. Data. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a really interesting point. So that's obviously a huge news story right now just in terms of the way that that company supposedly accessed and used different data points during the election in America and um, I think that's going to become more of a thing I mean you've got the the uh, you know GDPR coming which is a massive change in the way data is regulated and used and, and allowed to use, allowed to be used in terms of marketing um, and Facebook now just sheer to its you know its sheer size due to its sheer size it has so much information on individuals, um, both information that, you know, is real human data around who I am, for example, who you are if you're on Facebook yeah. and what you're into and what you're interested in and what's the websites you visit. visit. Um, but it has it in such huge amounts uh, and the companies that can access it, it makes it um, quite a scary prospect. So I think all the other social networks have got the same sort of challenges and making sure that they're uber secure uh, and that the data is used effectively with marketing. But I, I think that's another, you know, back to your other point around what's going to happen in the social media in the next five years. I think in marketing in the next five years, the management of personal data and how it's allowed to be used for marketing is going to be very, very heavily regulated. And I think it's sort of this changing consumer behavior um, around taking control of what companies actually, you know, are allowed to know about you and also allowed to use. So. I think that's going to. I think that's going to be a very interesting change. I've no. I've no idea. Truth be told, what's going to happen in that space, but I think that that this case, what's happening now with this company and, and how they've used data, is one for many, of many to come that have used Facebook data in in different ways that will be looked at by the press, by uh, regulators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, over time. So it's it's inter- certainly interesting times for social networks. That's for sure. Yeah, seen right now at the moment on Facebook, they got this thing bought in about a couple of years ago, where they have videos on your on your feed. And then once a video finishes, another video comes up which you can then share. So by sharing these different videos, they can tell more about your profile and who you are. Completely. Yeah, I mean, I think what a lot of people don't quite realise is, particularly with, again, Facebook, but other, other, other networks as well, 
as how much information they can really gather about you by the most minute action that you take. So if you watch a video for more than sort of five seconds, if you share a particular post, if you like a friend's post about something, if you talk about something and you've got the Facebook app open, in theory, uh, depending on what you believe in and how detailed the terms and conditions you look into, they, they are literally collecting information about you constantly. Um, and the, you know, the technology teams of these companies are very, very clever and they create weighting systems around does a like mean more than a comment or does a comment mean more than a share and all these sorts of things to really then get build a, a mass data profile on your usage. And um, you know, their argument is, is that you get to use the service for free in return to then collecting your data so they can sell that to advertisers. So that's kind of how the whole the whole world's changed so dramatically in the last few years. But Facebook have been so so on it uh, and the way they've delivered it, I think it's becoming this bigger, bigger talking point as you go. Every time you engage with something on Facebook, it's, it's probably being recorded. So consumers are definitely seem to be getting more savvy to that as the media takes attention as well, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm a bit worried as well. If you get a Facebook group as private, I'm wondering how much of the data is going to be shared elsewhere as well. It's a tricky one, yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible to, 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 to understand, really. Did you mean by Facebook group, did you say it's private or just yeah. Facebook? Just Facebook groups. Groups. groups, yeah. Well, I think, I, if, I, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I think that they are private, but I think Facebook is collecting all the information it wants to around how groups are used. So if you look at the way Facebook's developed itself in the last few years, they've, like I said, they've allowed everyone to sort of publish and create and share content together for absolutely nothing in terms of using the service in return for advertising revenue. And then they've diminished, in particular for businesses, page reach. Um, but even for people, you can't reach necessarily the same audience that you once used to when you shared an update, um, you don't have to pay, but it's just the way they kind of algorithmically measure everything. And I think that obviously means from a marketing point of view, people have started to go to groups and build big organic audiences on there. And right now there's no sort of pay to reach model for groups, but I think that's probably the next inevitable thing that's going to come. And I think, yeah, if I was at Facebook, I'd be pretty careful around what I did and didn't go over the top on monetizing just because user bases over time are going to get more and more annoyed if they have to pay for every single thing that they want to, you know, want to use the the social network for. I think they're going, well, I think they have gone through a little bit of a identity crisis in the last sort of three years and whether they're just a mass advertising platform or whether they are actually a social network or are they a publisher? And I think the media in particular are kind of commenting on that and saying, well, what, what role do Facebook have to play in society? So it's a really interesting time for social media. Um, I mean, I still think it's pretty much the number one you know, place to market your business, really, whether you're a small or large company at the moment, because of the sheer usage um, and the amount of attention, attention that it does have. But I think it's going to be a very transformative time with you know, younger groups, not, you know, younger people, sorry, not, not even necessarily using Facebook and going to other platforms. And it's just whether those platforms decide to follow Facebook's footsteps and become these huge big media companies or or stick towards the more niche social networks and, and have more of a utility use. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The data conversations and the, you know, the, the frightening amounts of pieces of information that these companies have certainly becoming more the talking point than when they originally started as a really exciting place just to be able to conversate and have your friends online. I think because they've gone so far down that whole advertising route and everything that it's just becoming more scary as we go along, really, for people. Yeah, and for me, I've noticed now that if you're going to get your news, most time you're going to get on Facebook before anywhere else these days. 
And uh, well, it's not just that. I mean, Twitter still has, I think, you know, reasonably good footing in terms of news. But they, again, they're, they're enormous business. But Twitter just again does not have the same scale as Facebook. So news, in particular, in the last I don't know, let's call it two years for Facebook, must have been a bit of a strategic priority because they've upweighted publishers in terms of videos, uh, in terms of the videos publishers share, but also links for quite a few years now. And that will be obviously to kind of get a grip on the, the news world because. News is ultimately one of those things that everyone is into, whether it's you know political news, celebrity news, or just anything that you're generally interested in in terms of the latest information. And so if you've got a firm grip on what the news is and you're able to kind of be in that ecosystem, you're always going to have attention spans at the end of the day. Um, and I think what Facebook have done very cleverly is monetize that very heavily through publishers needing to promote their content to reach an audience, but also publishers relying so heavily on, on Facebook as an organic traffic source for that content as well and consumption of news on their platform on Facebook rather than on the publisher's actual website. So I agree with you. I think, yeah, it is definitely is a place where I go for news. It's certainly a place where I go for, for credible news news information, but also knowing there's a lot of uncredible information on there, which is obviously a massive talking point recently. But I think... Um, I think Twitter in particular now they've they've probably seen a bit of a gap in the in the emerging market of social and that they've they've kind of lost their way to a certain extent in the last five years about what they were and I think a lot of investors and things like that are wondering how big can Twitter get but they've um, they've definitely got a good opportunity now to sort of reaffirm their grip on the new scene and also just for people to uh, to organically share on their platform because you're not you're not quite as restricted as you are in terms of reach than uh, than you are on Facebook so. Like I said, the, the changing ecosystem for social networks is very interesting. Um, and I think my, my main thing at the moment is I'm quite excited to see whatever the next player is. I think Snapchat had a massive opportunity and I don't think they're executing on it in the best way possible. But I think there's there's a few different networks to come over the next few years. I think we've all got our eyes keenly on what they might be and, and, and how they might operate and what will be their niche. Will it be video or pictures or, or whatever it might be? Yeah, I think Snapchat, when they brought the new, new updates, the room with the had had a great system worked fine, and now it's really gone bad. I know it's it's a really interesting one. So if anyone uh, looks at any of the links I shared on uh, like LinkedIn or Twitter when Snapchat came out, I have to say I thought it was an absolute um, you know potential. Uh, well, just, I thought it potentially could be one of the biggest apps that are known to man, and I think to a certain extent it is. But it's got a very very fine user base and just as they were sort of reaching a really exciting space in terms of usage and what it was going to be used for and how brands were going to use it and stuff like that, they have they went into the sort of spectacle side of things where they decided they were going to try and create this camera company model where they were going to have, you know, photo, um, spectacles with cameras linked to them and AI and all that sort of stuff was going to integrate into it. And then, like I said, they've done this product update, which has just not gone down well at all. I think the most interesting thing for me for Snapchat is that... Um, They've got a really young audience space and they've had to change their user interface to kind of get more people to use it to make it slightly easier to use. But it's kind of diminished their niche. And I think it's going to be really, really tricky for them to understand how they're going to kind of sort this whole situation out because they're, they're now at a place when a celebrity tweets that they don't use Snapchat anymore, that they use a lot of their, they lose a lot of their market cap. So it's fascinating. I think... Um, I think, they, I think they've, they've, it depends on how they deliver their strategy. They, they claim that they're a camera company, but I, I'm not entirely sure that they are. I think sometimes tech companies uh, and different people and different businesses have slightly different visions on what, what, what the kind of main thing the, the company can be. I, uh, I, I sent a few posts out ages ago around Snapchat and how I thought it was going to be, like I said, one of the biggest apps in the world. Um, but they just haven't seemed to have quite capitalized on that. And... Uh, 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I actually wrote in some of my posts that they should have actually just sold to Facebook, and I think realistically they might be looking that back themselves and think the same thing. I, I don't know, but um, I think really they should have kind of let themselves go into the Facebook ecosystem because I think that you know Facebook in terms of social networks it would have fit quite nicely. And they've kind of been uh, hammered by Facebook's strategy with Instagram to copy everything they do. So we shall see. I think they'll obviously have a plan, but it'll be interesting to see what, what unfolds. Talking about just moving to platforms, which one do you prefer the most and why? For me, personally? Yeah. Um, for me, personally, I've used Instagram a hell of a lot over the last year, and I really, really like it. I mean... For me, it's kind of the most relevant in today's terms in that it's mobile, mobile only predominantly. It allows you to share a really nice snapshot of what you're doing in your day. I try to avoid the over-the-top Instagram content where you're kind of making everything completely perfect. So for anyone who follows me, it's a genuine insight into my life. It's not you know perfectly shaped and scored for the best moments or whatever. And I try to share a lot on the stories feature as well to kind of just get some real-time aspect to what I'm doing. So I like it. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's going to go through the Facebook machine and start to see uh, less engagement, etc. So I really hope that they don't go too far down that route at the moment because there'll need to be something else. But I, I, I've definitely sort of fallen into that niche. Um, I've kind of re, re started to use Twitter in the last year. I completely gave up using Twitter about two years ago personally just because I had other stuff going on. But I really started to enjoy using that again. So I think the platforms where basically they're, they're, they don't get too noisy, uh, which I think Facebook is too noisy. So the networks that you know don't allow themselves to go too over the top in terms of the volume and manage to control the volume to a certain extent and make it still more exciting and useful, the ones that are going to win. So for me, it's Instagram right now. But like I said, I'm, I'm always watching out for the next thing to see what, see what pops up. Yeah, well, for me, I like Twitter because with Twitter... I can share a story to somebody you don't know, and they can share it on. Whereas Facebook, you can't really do that as such. Yeah, Twitter's great to be honest with you, particularly if you're in, you know, the press or anything like that. And actually, if you want to have any sort of following, because like I said, you can create a piece of content, share it, and then someone can share it beyond and beyond and beyond, and you can also do that for others. But I also think um, on Twitter, you kind of know there's a guaranteed, or if it feels like it, anyway, person behind it, because you can read into the tweets quite far back, quite quickly. And I can get a feel for your personality or what you like to talk about. And if I'm into the same thing, then there's an easy way for me to tweet you and have a conversation. Whereas on Instagram, there's probably a bit less of that. There's a, there's a little bit, but there's not quite as much openness because you're not necessarily putting out your thoughts in such real time. So I love Twitter. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a cool platform. I think they're, they're definitely going down the right route in terms of what they're doing now. What, um, you know, what, so you use Twitter. Do you use Instagram and things like that at all on your side of things? Or is it most, mostly Twitter that you sort of focus on? Well, I use Twitter, I use LinkedIn, and I use Facebook. Instagram, for me, is not really useful because I don't take many pictures at all, so I don't need to see need for that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the thing is, with, with Instagram, like I said, you do have to it's very, but it's pretty much completely photo-dominated or video-dominated, so you've got to be interested in either taking photos or having, ha- handily having someone to take photos of you or whatever you're doing, which is tricky. So it's interesting. But it doesn't, you know, the interesting thing about Instagram, it doesn't drive a huge amount of traffic to many websites, whereas Twitter and Facebook can do that. So it has its limitations to a certain extent, for sure. But with Twitter, I'm finding right now that you can link up with somebody you didn't know was on Twitter. And they can be very political. Like the moment I'm following John Cusack, the actor, and the moment he's very, very anti-Donald Trump, so he gets into lots of fights. People in America <laughs> and seeing that it's interesting to see what he's talking about. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You get a proper insight into being a celebrity or public figures, which you, then actually the nice thing about Twitter is that most people aren't afraid to share what they actually think, which is quite rare these days in general. So uh, yeah, it's a very good point. I mean. It was definitely the first platform where you had some sort of behind-the-scenes access of 
celebrities of what they actually thought, but also gave people with public profiles the ability to respond to what people said about them, which I think is the most interesting thing that you still don't get on any other network, actually. So you get a real-time insight into all these very interesting people. And I think it's one of the easiest ones, actually, to build up a reasonably good following if you're just look, you know, starting with social media or want to get started. It's a very open network. I think it, it welcomes people into uh, like the Twitter, the Twitter ecosphere, whereas Instagram in particular is almost like if you don't have a big following, people aren't going to follow you and things like that, whereas I think Twitter kind of, it's like a, it's more of an ecosystem, I suppose, or it certainly feels back to me it is anyway. So with Instagram, you have to work a little bit harder and create quite a lot of content to get any form of traction, which that's, that's a very interesting point, actually. Yeah, because yeah, I've noticed that when I've been on Twitter, I've seen guys... He might have basically maybe a hundred or a thousand followers, but they they can have a lot of content worth worth looking at. Whereas uh, guys with a million followers could be could have nothing worth following. Totally, yeah, completely. I mean, you can have gazillions of followers on social networks, and unless you're maintaining maintaining them, sharing interesting stuff at the end of the day, be that on yeah whatever text, the Twitter or pictures of your Instagram, unless you're genuinely putting yourself out there, um, it's just not worth it. I mean. One of the things that we have stayed very true to at Content Cal is that we don't have any uh, automation or rescheduling of content uh, that is is almost spammy to us yeah. to an extent. So sure, you can repost content over and over again in terms of if it's your own created content. You can't do it too often, but you can. But what we don't do is one of those sort of tools whereby you've got 50,000 different articles that people are just resharing, 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 just saying the same old thing. And actually... Twitter have literally just changed one of their policies that they are actually going to ban that on their platform altogether because it's become sort of a place or has had become a sort of a place for bots more than anything else to share content pointlessly. Yeah. So for me, I mean, social media is it's a real, it's a place to be authentic about who you are. It's a place to share your opinions and be genuine and not worry about it to a certain extent. Social networks, the, the good side of them is obviously they give people the ability to react to that. Uh, whether you like that or not, that's the way they're built. So that's kind of why I like it, and that's one of the thing that got excited me about it, both personally and for business, years ago when I wanted, decided I wanted to work in this industry. But um, I think more and more as these platforms have got so big and there's lots of businesses that have popped up around them that automate, I think they're going to really start to you know, get hot on. It's got to be genuinely good, exciting, interesting, friendly, funny, entertaining content or serious when it needs to be, but it's got to be real. It can't be fake. And I think I, I welcome that fully from any platform, really. I'm sure you do too. I mean, there's nothing worse than seeing sort of spammy content or just yeah. pointless stuff that's shared by a machine by the looks of things. Well, for me, what's worse is when you get a lot of content being reshared by bots or basically followers that, that have been been bought, which, is, which isn't great. No, and it happens everywhere, unfortunately, because you know, that's just you always get these sort of bandit companies that pop up off the back of those things. But no, I agree. I mean, we we we, we really push creating proper content here at Content Cow, and then if you need to put advertising spend behind it, that's got to be part of your business budget from a business point of view. And that's kind of the way it is. We don't advocate buying followers. We don't advocate using automated rescheduling tools that do it twenty times a day or something like that. It's just it's not what the networks are built for. And I think. Anything that in life has sort of got mass scale is cyclical, so you'll see a big cull of that very soon, I think, from all the different networks, that they'll just stop all these spammy tools having access to any of their technology, I think. so. Yeah, and also for me it's worse when you see somebody with clickbait stories. Mm. Well, again, it's all happened in the last few years, hasn't it? The whole news cycle side of things, and clickbait is such a, was such a clever tool 
you know, almost pioneered by BuzzFeed to a certain extent with lots of spammy sites popping off the back of it to get people to actually come from a social network into a website, which is becoming more and more difficult. But um, it's frustrating. No, I fully agree. And I think I, I'm actually, you know, you've seen Facebook took a took a, a sort of um, approach a couple of months ago, a bit longer than that, probably a year ago, and they pretty much banned that altogether. And I think Twitter's now going through the motions on that as well. So I think, fingers crossed, it's good for everyone, really. It's good for the news industry it's good for consumers it's good for advertising it's good for brands and businesses and and individuals that don't have to see to you know read an article which actually when they click on it it's got nothing to do with the original title yeah like you see an article that says never guess what this dog did next and then you're gonna that stuff kind of annoys me because i don't care what dog did next it's not a story well it's just like it just has no it's not valid is it i mean you have to click on it to find the answer which is why it's clever but at the same time it's just pointless i mean, you i don't you do, who cares at the end of the day so yeah but like i said i think it's good that the networks have started to clamp down on that stuff because it's, it's definitely helping the proper content creators out there do real stuff which is exactly what we're all about so yeah and also i guess as well facebook now is got you know, twitter a problem now about verified accounts how do they bring <clears> that back online again Yes, with verified accounts, I mean, that's a really interesting thing as well. I think, I think honestly, some of the networks like your Facebooks and Twitters, where they've been around for a while, have gone through these sort of identity crises where they don't know what's verified, what's not to a certain extent, and also what should be verified, what is the definition of verified? Is it just because you're the genuine person you're saying you are, or is it because you're a celebrity? So, like, they've got all these, they've, well, basically, these networks have created absolute phenomenons in terms of what, 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 what you see online over the last few years, and... Only now, after about yeah, nine to ten years of them having this enormous growth and being proper parts of society, are they having to think about, all right, well, what does actually a verified profile mean? And what does a retweet even mean? And what does it mean if uh, someone does put clickbait on our platform and stuff like that? Is it actually friendly to people? And I think there's just a huge amount of stuff that's happened in this sort of social network world, which... Anytime, funnily enough, I do a talk about social media, be it at an event for marketing or a podcast or something like this, they actually normally, the conversation goes into this direction. You know, what, what is the role of social networks in society more than it is about marketing and advertising? Because we know they're good places to do marketing and advertising because they've got loads and loads of people there. But it's more about, okay, so we know that bit. So everyone knows now that, well, not everyone, but a lot of people know that that's a good place to market your business and, and have a personal profile, etc. But what, you know, what do we want social networks and what do the social networks want to play in terms of their role in the world. And I think that is the next 10-year cycle of seeing the developments that they bring out and also the potential of things like regulation or self-regulation to a certain extent, just depending on how it all flows. Because I feel that if I'm, if I'm following a journalist or somebody on, on Twitter or Facebook and they're, they're going to verify the accounts, I'm going to mm. trust them more than an unverified account who says they're in, they're in uh, media as well. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? Where if you follow a verified account and they say they're in the media, then they they, they probably are at the end of the day. Because you'd expect Twitter have done some due diligence on actually verifying their account. But like, it's one of those things that they've got again. They've got to get their head around. If I'm Alex Packham, I'm not. I've got a verified platform, but someone pops up a fake profile about me or who I am, which I've had on Instagram before. I've never had it on um, never had it on Twitter. It's like, well, well, should I be verified? And therefore, you know, how do I go about doing that as a person rather than a, a huge public profile? It's a really tricky one, and I think you know, it's a human thing. That's where I think they struggle mostly. You can't automate. Well, you can to a certain extent, but you can't rely on pure automation to govern what the rules are around people. So I think it's going to be, like I said, I think the next five to ten years and how networks are developed and governed is going to be probably the most interesting part for users but also for brands and marketers as well. Yeah, because I can imagine with Twitter at the moment, 
Like last week, Joe Dorsey was saying, you might have in the future a way where anybody who's on Twitter can have a verified account. Exactly. And then that's the bit you've got to get your head around. How do they govern? Is it people that verify themselves to make sure that they are? And is there going to be some like verification process where you have two friends say that you're verified and that's what works? But then it, it, there's, all, where, where there's all these things, there's always ways around them. So you'll have inevitably people popping up trying to verify profiles that aren't the real thing. The scams on the internet, left, right, and centre, unfortunately. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I think the, the, the difficult thing is, and I talk about this, I've talked about this on other panels, is regulating this global social network ecosystem is effectively close to impossible because you can't regulate it in the United States and have different regulation laws for Europe and then for Asia and for other areas of the world because they are so widely accessible and so widely used and you're going to try and get all these different parties to agree on what the right regulation is which I think is close to impossible probably not impossible but close to and so we've got yeah like I said we've got interesting times ahead I think Twitter in particular like I said I think they've got a really good opportunity to actually take some good action in terms of what they can do in the next five years and, and really remain a dominant player in the social network industry but I think they um, they almost lost their way a few years ago and I think they probably Probably like you said, they've got a good firm grip on what they're going to start to look at doing, yeah, and I which think is cool. If they start to bring in rules that basically to be verified on Twitter, you got to show them photo ID. You got to wonder how is that ID going to be stored safely, like passport. Yeah, and all I think that. that's yeah. That creates a whole new world of danger as well because I mean, if you if you if you have to get a photo ID to verify your platform, then Twitter inevitably will have to be regulated like the financial services industry. So if you sign up for any of the financial services uh, startups, the way they verify you normally is through uploading driver's license or passport. Yeah. But they are regulated in every country by the whatever regulator it is because they need to hold that personal information on you against your account for a number of years. So I think if you start going down that route, that's almost going to limit the growth and the uh, the way those companies like Twitter and Facebook would operate. So I can't see that happening um, unless they can get their investors to buy in because it limits growth. But who knows? I mean, maybe that's the right thing to do, like you said, and it would certainly be the logical thing to do. But I just think it would limit their user bases too much. So, well, I don't know. Do you think, that, do you think something like that would happen or not? I'm not sure because if you got to basically show uh, how full of the idea to prove who you are before you get a very open account, I think I wouldn't do that for a social media account because it's it's something that you want to keep private. Because with Twitter, you can decide what information about you is being shared online. Exactly. And why exactly. Should, why should you go and share basically your passport, driving license with them as well? And it's the data breach, big trouble. That's, that's the thing. I was going to say, circling back to your point earlier, if there's a data breach or if the social networks have got a track record that they sell all your information to advertisers, I just can't see people most people anyway wanting to share I mean I wouldn't put my driver's license or passport into any of the social networks now unless I knew for a fact that they had some form of independent body to make sure that the data was all secure because it's not at the end of the day to a certain extent I think the interesting thing about GDPR and that I've had to learn this running my own business is that the way personal data is stored at the moment online is, is not, not, not secure at the end of the day. It's secure as physically possible, and it's the same in the physical world, but nothing really is 100% secure. You've just got lots and lots of ways to protect it. So when you have billions or hundreds of millions of people's personal information without having the right checks and balances on what, how it's stored and all the rest, which creates policy and regulation, it's, it's so difficult to manage it, really. So that's what I'm saying. We're in... We're in crazily interesting times with data and social networks and marketing and advertising and things like that in general and I think there's just going to be a lot of interesting change that comes about 
um, in the next few years, which changes the way everyone really operates. So. Yeah. And in the next five years, what are your plans for Content Cow? So Content Cow uh, is is in a place where we've kind of got this amazing user base and the, and the product has really found its niche that we're kind of looking at how do we grow from here. So we've got a really you know fixed uh, use case in terms of companies who want to use a calendar-based uh, social media management platform which is built for teams, really, really good in terms of the way we actually operate that side of our company so we want to grow that in the next five years as much as possible and that will focus mostly on international growth so we started in the UK we'll inevitably want to grow it in America uh, we'll look to Europe and Asia shortly after that and that will involve a lot of different funding rounds and different growth uh, activities along the way so we're, we're looking at definitely that side of the company and then um, we just want to make sure that we're, we're one of these companies that do things really really well and really properly so one of the things I'm very focused on like I said is not turning content Kel into one of these spamming you know automation tools because I don't think that's where the future of the social network uh, world is so we're trying to maintain our best practice which in the last few years because we've had that ethos you could argue is, is sort of slowed us down because we've decided not to go down that route um, which a lot of other startups have which makes life easier for people but we've really focused on making sure that the quality of our platform and the quality of content that people put out powered through our platform is good and so it's mass growth but it's more considered growth than perhaps what we we would we would um, we would have if we were going down the pure automation route. But um, it's an exciting time. We're going to probably do some some more funding rounds, like I said. So we've done 1.6 million pounds of funding so far and grown really really well in terms of software and service revenue off the back of that. And our plan is to really scale it so it's a global solution. And then uh, we'll, we'll see. Really, I think um, eventually someone might buy Content Cow. It might integrate it into a, into a bigger platform at a time. But right now we're just purely focused on growing the product and making it as useful as possible for our customers. And that's the main thing, really. Our customers and our end users are, you know, what we exist for. We exist to build a product that's good for them, and, and that's our focus right now. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think it's been great to talk to you. Really, yeah. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. No problem. Glad it's, to have um, you. Yes. Well, when Sam mentioned you guys, I thought, great, why not? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, we, like, we had a great introduction through Samantha Kelly, who's a really cool contact of ours and is an amazing brand ambassador for us. And I, I'm just, I was really excited to talk to you, have a chat about social media, yeah. have a chat about content, Cal. But no, I, I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, I've known Sam six years, and every year I've known her, she's grown bigger and bigger as, yeah. as a brand as well. She's great at her job. She is a superstar. Yeah, she, she, we were out in San Diego actually with her about two weeks ago at Social Media Marketing World, and she was such a superstar. We've got to know her quite well in the last few months, and yeah, she's, she's an absolute ledge. And she, like I said, she seems to be growing her network relentlessly. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's a super connector, that's for sure. So, yeah, no, like I said, I really, the focus for us is coming on the podcast, having a chat about social media and just sort of yeah, talking about content care as well. But it's been really, really fun to chat to. Yeah, likewise, because I mean, I've enjoyed your views on, on, uh, different platforms and where they're going to go next five years because I think next five years with GDPR and Brexit and other things is going to be a crazy world. Uh, it's going to change. The world yeah. is, honestly, the world in marketing is going to change dramatically in the next five years but you're, you're absolutely right and I think I think everyone really speaking from business owners to the regulators and GDPR and stuff, we're all trying to find our feet with what the new digital world is going to look like so it's, it's going to be exciting five years ahead. Yeah. Alright, thanks so much for that Alex cool. and uh, have a good day and take care. Appreciate it. Thanks. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye.